Hello and welcome to the 15th edition of the Political Party Podcast, this one featuring the Conservative MP, recently relieved of his duties as Vice-Chair of the Party, Michael Fabricant. Um, the, uh, a couple of warnings before we start. My language in this is awful, and particularly in the first bit. I haven't realised how much I swear, so uh, apologies for that, and I'll try and um, behave better in future. Um, and just to warn you that Michael Fabricant is... Um, Arguably the funniest, but certainly the most uncontrollable guest that I've had uh, on this show. And um, at times, I have to admit, absolutely baffled me. In a very, very good way. Um, But nevertheless, um, I think you'll be able to hear... I mean, the audience absolutely loved him, and so did I. He is a true one-off in politics at the moment, and... uh, was just wonderful, and I was—I've met him before, and I was—I was almost slightly concerned that he wouldn't let his eccentricity show. Um, there was absolutely no danger of that, so do enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side. I should also add um, that uh, we started—I started in the first half, um, as I usually have to these days—by um, talking about UKIP um, and uh, their a unique approach to the European election campaign. Hello, good evening, everyone. Hello. Hello, good evening. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the uh, political party. Give me a cheer if you've been here before. Yay! Give me a cheer if this is your first time. Yay! Very excited uh, about tonight's guest. Uh, before all that, obviously, the party that everyone is talking about uh, this month, as they were last month, uh, is UKIP. They've brought out these posters that I'm sure uh, you've all seen. Uh, the, the most famous one is uh, this is for UKIP's uh, Euro election uh, campaign. The most famous one is one with a big hand pointing out of it. And it says 26 million people in Europe are out of work. Guess whose job they're after. Now, there must be some people who walk past that poster and go, surely not. I work in Ed Meliband's office. Are you fucking mad? I have to train him for a Prime Minister's question time. I can't give this job away. I walked past it the other day. I thought, well, it's, no way. Some Eastern European. I must go to St. James's Theatre. To make political parties. <laughs> Can't say that. I hope David Moyers walked past that poster last week and went, fucking tell me about that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, the Tories have gone mad. The Tories have gone absolutely mad about UKIP's campaign. Going, this is... I mean, the problem is, they're now being accused of the sort of stuff the Tories have been accused of about ten years ago. I mean, what every Tory MP is effectively saying is, this is absolutely outrageous, what UKIP is saying. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they're stealing our material. <laughs> That is effectively the undercurrent. Uh, UKIP then got themselves into more trouble um, when one of their candidates, Lenny Henry, uh, the famous black uh, British comedian, uh, said um, that he would like to see more black people in the arts, to which a candidate said, um, well, he should then go and live in a black country. Um, Now, the problem is, that is so offensive and so ridiculous, you almost can't take it seriously. And I just wonder about some of these people, and I don't like going in for all this UKIP bashing, because I think sometimes they've got a point and I sort of understand some of where they're coming from. I mean, t- but to say that about someone who's British and about someone who's proud to be British and is conscious... I don't know how, well, I don't know how people like that sleep at night. Um, not as well as Lenny Henry, actually, according to the adverts. Uh, <laughs> that was proper fake moral outrage. I don't think anyone believed I was actually that pissed off about it, uh, which is dangerous. Um, it was a great bit where Nick Robinson cornered Nigel Fry. Some of you might have seen this. Where he gets Nigel Farage on the day of their launch. Because even though they're doing this whole thing about uh, you know, Eastern Europeans are coming over here trying to take your jobs. Uh, Nigel Farage's wife 
uh, is also his secretary, and she's German. So he's employing a German woman to do that particular job while he's saying, oh, look, people are trying to nick yours. So Nick Robinson quite recently says to him, are you saying that no British person could be your secretary? And Farage tries to sort of make out that wife and secretary are always the same thing. <laughs> he goes, well, look, I don't think I'd find anyone, frankly, uh, who would want to stay up till 12 o'clock at night checking my emails and making sure that I'm briefed in the morning. And he's going, are you saying that no British person could do that? He goes, what, marry me? <laughs> Mate, no, 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 that's clearly, like, even for Farage, that's ridiculous. What are you saying? That a British person would want to wake up next to me, go and get me five pints of bombardier, <laughs> wank me off when they get back, and then start on the emails? Is that what you're saying? Do you actually think you're being offensive to the British people? <laughs> just how far is he going to go? Nigel, it turns out you've got your dog on the payroll. How, how do you just... Well, you show me a British person that will fetch you a stick from, a, from some woodland, the exact same stick that I threw in, and then maybe I'll consider employing it. There have been some developments in this Euro campaign that we haven't seen before. Uh, David Cameron, uh, this week, did a conference call with Conservative supporters. Now, I sign up to all these different email alerts from all the different parties <laughs> because I'm sad. Um, but one of the, I was meant to be on it. I gave my number and I missed the call because I was... Uh, um, well, just elsewhere. Um, <laughs> did anyone here go on the Cameron conference call? Not a single person. Um, <laughs> The problem I had was I wanted to go on it. I thought it would be amazing to listen into a conference call with the Prime Minister. That's quite cool, isn't it? No one thinks it's cool. Yeah, yeah, you think it's cool. Yeah, I'd have gone on there. But the problem is, I don't like conference calls anyway. It would be the only conference call I think I'd have ever been on that I'd have enjoyed. Um, I'm sure plenty of people here work in offices. Conference calls are probably the least exciting thing about office work because everyone becomes a twat on a conference call. <laughs> There's no way of being normal on a conference call. You could go into that meeting, where, and the worst ones are when you're sat round, five of you, and then one other person's got to dial in. Because <laughs> you all sit round there, like, having, well, in the offices I worked in, often quite bawdy conversations. Oh, fucking hell, mate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, the moment the conversation starts, you go straight into professional bullshit. Oh, mate, I was absolutely shit. Like, to be honest, I didn't think I was going to make it in this one. I puked in my bed. John has joined the call. Hi, John. Yeah, we're just talking about the granularity of some of the strategy uh, documents that we've got there. Uh, I just wondered if you could drill down into quarter four for us, yeah. <laughs> it was a conference call with the Prime Minister, like, was it a normal conference call where everyone has to sort of, like, dial in? That would have taken ages. Beep, beep, Ed Miliband has joined the conversation. Beep, beep, William Hague has joined the... The problem is, on the, com on the conference calls I used to go on, you could hear when people had left. <laughs> There must have been a point where David Cameron goes, uh, look, you know, I know, I know that it's uh, the European elections, but I actually think we should have quite a sensible line on Europe this time. Boop, boop, William Hague has left the meeting. <laughs> there's always, there's always noise in someone's phone as well. That's the worst thing about a conference call. When you've dialed in and you're sat at home on this bloody conference call, you can always hear like, ding, ding, section number five, train to... Who is at a train station? No, it's not me, it's not me. Everyone, there's always one person denying that they're not where they're meant to be. Is someone in a... What is going on back there? Two lambunas and two garlic naan. Eric Pickles, are you in a curry house again? <laughs> oh, chuffing hell. <laughs> Should have put it on mute. <laughs> I don't think any other politician would have done this. Can you imagine? God knows how many years ago. 70 years ago, old British family stood at home next to that old telephone. Hello? Sorry, darling, I'm just on a conference call with Churchill. <laughs> just talking about the granularity of the strategy for D-Day. I don't think so. Labour have released a video. It's been a busy month on YouTube in politics this month of um, a new guy who's come to save the Labour Party. 
for the next election. That man is called Dave. Someone got there before me. That was amazing. Who knew that? Hello, welcome to the show. What's your name, madam? Jill. Jill. Hello, Jill. Um, do you work for the party? It's Jill Axelrod. It's Jill Axelrod. You know Jill Axelrod. Hangs around with Percy Axelrod and Phyllis Axelrod. Do you know him, Jill? No. Have you met? Ooh. <laughs> there you are. Crikey. Um, David Axelrod. Yeah, it does sound like a porn star name, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> this scene needs to finish. Bring in the Axelrod. Not the Axelrod. Oh, my God. Axelrod. I never thought of it like that before. Honest. My word. Are you impressed with him? Do you think he's good? Well, that's what I'm asking, yeah. Well, you tell me later. Well, if, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, David Axelrod worked for Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012. Uh, so, obviously, he's a genius, right? Because without him, there's no way that little unknown guy called Barack Obama would have stood any chance of getting elected, right? But Axelrod was one of his, you know, strategic heads or whatever they call it, right? Miliband signed him up. Axelrod has then put a video out, which just sort of shows that already, to me, that's a little bit... Un-British. Like we don't announce advisors. We're like Man United saying, we've got a new kit man who'll be doing a press conference at 12. Uh, it's, like, it's just not part of like We deal with front office stuff. If advisors become the story, that seems a bad thing in British politics. I don't put my, And it's him there, and it's the corniest, cheesiest video. And it's him there, and he's got his top shirt button undone, sleeves rolled up, tie just down a bit. And he goes, hi, I'm David Axelrod. And I just want to let you know, I'm so proud to be joining Ed Miliband's team. <laughs> what? Do you know who Ed Miliband is, mate? I think you've been the victim of a massive wind-up. <laughs> Someone's fucking gone and done Axelrod. It's the biggest episode of You've Been Framed we've ever seen. Where's Beadle? Axelrod's there, but it's so... Without wanting to sound like an absolute nerd, it's so, it's so 1995. It's like shirt buttoned down, tie down, so that immediately as a viewer you're meant to go... Oh, shit. I don't know who this guy is, but fuck, he works hard. <laughs> God. I mean, it's eight o'clock and he's still at the office. and he's, he's got his tie down. He must have had a shit of a day. <laughs> and he's taking the time to make a video for us. He does the whole thing. It's about making a fur society. P- point in like this, right, was fine when Clinton did it. You're like, ooh, new moves. When Blair did it, you were like, yeah, but you'll get away with it. Now that everyone's doing it, 20 years later, this has to end. If there are any politicians or budding politicians in the audience, never point like this. Normal people don't point like this. I've never been in court and seen a trial. They go, can you please point at the accused? Well, just sort of <laughs> sort of What's wrong with your car, mate? Which bit's fucked? Oh, it's just sort of... <laughs> I've got three other jobs to get to on the M1, mate. You're not helping me. Point at it. That's rude, isn't it? Oh, All this hard-working families working hard for hard. Like, political conversation and political jargon has got so stiff and so similar that I think it turns a lot of people off. But he... I worked for the Labour Party for a while, right? The people that were canonised in every Labour Party st- stuff's member of, uh, opi- member of opinion... It was people who'd worked on the 1997 campaign, Blair's first. So it didn't matter what they did. He was like, oh, Jim's coming down. He uh, worked on 97. He was like, oh, shit. This guy's got to be spit. Oh, shit. 
Now, they had a record, they employed about a million people in 1997, the Labour Party, but it was just like, oh yeah, he worked on the 97 campaign, so this guy knows what's going on. David Axelrod, I guarantee you, will piss everyone off that he works with. Because everyone who's worked on those big campaigns go, actually, uh, in 97 we did something a little bit different. And what was actually interesting about the 97 campaign uh, was that people didn't think you could do that. Uh, and then we did it and we bloody won it. Uh, it'd just be like, people will be stood there at Labour head office going, yeah, yeah, fine. Look, in 2008 when Barack thought he was going to lose, right, let me stop you there. <laughs> I came in, I said, look, Barack, we've got to change our message. We've got to put out a risk message in some of those key seats. Like, every, anyone could have told them to do that. There'll be people at head office who would just go, David! I know you worked on a 2008 campaign. I know you worked on the 2012 campaign. But all I'm saying is, milk first and then the fucking sugar, mate. <laughs> God. Get out. I'm trying to have a shit. What are you doing in here? <laughs> I mean, if I... I don't know why they've got advisors doing videos. Imagine if every new advisor to the Labour Party has to make a little video and get it on YouTube. Hi, I'm Ollie. Um, I've just joined the DWP team um, because I, like, really believe in fairness. And, like, I sort of think, like, the Tories don't, but I'm not sure, but I, I kind of think that, like, what they're doing is, like, really unfair at the moment. So... I watched Promise Question Time today for the first time in quite a while. Did anyone else see it? Yeah. Well, mix, uh, the Burko was on incredible form today. Uh, he, there was a bit where he told David Cameron, he said, order, order, uh, moved on, and David Cameron went, I haven't finished. <laughs> he actually said this out loud, and uh, John Burko went, uh, I think you'll find, and I'm telling him, that he has finished. <laughs> I thought, I watched Promise Question Time, and I like it. When it's like Miliband and... Uh, when it's Miliband and Cameron, they're the bits that are really exciting. Or you get like a, a funny backbencher, like I guess tonight, uh, and that can that can make it, <laughs> and that will make it exciting. But the problem is, I think there should be more excitement put into Promises Question. And this side thing, you should be able to do it. I think there should be a red button option to watch Gogglebox, <laughs> to watch Gogglebox reactions during, because whenever there's a political thing on Gogglebox, they're bloody accurate. Like they're the people that really get what's going on. Like people like people like us. I'm not generalising you all in with my pathetic life, um, but you know, people who are interested in politics often you, you can you can get your judgment clouded sometimes because you almost know too much of what's going on behind the scenes and you forget that little tip of the iceberg and how it appeals to the public or how it appears to the public. Um, so I would just like to see some of those like legends of Gogglebox giving their opinion on um, giving their opinion on on PMQs. I think it'd be great. The family. I like the most, because they're most irritating, is the one with a son who uh, has the most irritating voice in Britain. And I would just love to see them go to them. Uh, look, uh, it's, uh, he's out of order, uh, Mr. Speaker, all the cost of living crisis. He doesn't understand it. It's just to cut to, oh my God, who is that? Uh, oh my God, Dad, who the fuck is that? Like, I don't even get this guy. Dad, don't even say your voting group. It's like, so embarrassing. Please. There's two guys in Brighton. I absolutely love them. Oh, who's that? Ed Miliband. Mm. <laughs> Don't reckon much to him, do you? No. Mm. His mouth looks like a minge. <laughs> Not that hard, no. <laughs> <laughs> Those two. I mean, just for the posh couple at the end, they're always like the best. <laughs> they're absolutely best. Who's that? David Cameron. David. Oh, Ed Miliband. Yeah. <laughs> 
fuck off. <laughs> um, we have a remarkable guest, and I can't wait uh, to introduce him to you. But before that, uh, we have about a 20-minute break, and then I'll be welcoming to the stage uh, Mr. Michael Fabricant. If you've got a question you'd like to ask, please uh, ask it at the... <laughs> please don't! Fuck it now! Well, please do. Uh, I'll be dealing with you in a minute, mate. Uh, we'll have a 20-minute break for the time being. Thank you for being a wonderful crowd. I'll be Matt Ford. See you in a bit. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've had uh, a wide uh, variety of guests here down at the political party over the last year or so. George Galloway, Nigel Farage. Uh, last month, we had Alistair Campbell. Uh, and we continue to book... Uh, the most exciting guests uh, of the year in which we live, and tonight's guest really is uh, of the zeitgeist. I booked him to appear, uh, we met for a drink, and two days later we'd been fired. Um, <laughs> so God knows what's going to happen after tonight. Uh, he is arguably the funniest uh, MP in the House of Commons. He's an absolute legend. Please give a massive reception for Mr Michael Fabrican. <laughs> 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 this guy, this guy must be a jinx. <laughs> you have a seat. I you meet him and I'm fired. Um, well. Oh, by the way, can I just say, you know, I was listening to you and you talked about Nick Clegg. Yeah. And you said, you know, he has the open neck thing and the yeah. jeans and everything. Oh, bloody hell, I thought I'd gone and blown that. But the only difference between me and Nick Clegg is I have open neck jeans. <laughs> <laughs> well. Normally. <laughs> The look on some of the faces in the front row there, Michael, was <laughs> horror like I've never seen. Um, but welcome, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, now, the custom is that the guest of the previous month supplies the question, um, the first question for the, for the next uh, month. So I had Alistair Campbell last month, uh, and his question... <laughs> so this isn't me. Yeah. ..was, is it a wig? It's more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way, Apollo 13 hasn't got anything on me. <laughs> or rather, on it. <laughs> well, they didn't even... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they, right, yeah. they had nothing on the moon <laughs> either. Move on. Um, uh, OK, is it something that people ask you about a lot? No, they're normally more polite. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but I was, I, I mean, it's going to be a disaster, but I was being interviewed uh, yesterday for two hours by a lovely lady. Well, I say she's lovely because I've got no idea what it's going to turn out like from uh, the Daily Mail, who screwed me a bit this, today. Did anyone see the Daily Mail? Oh, I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> no, don't, forget it, forget it. Anyway, so she, <laughs> she says to me, so ask me about my hair. She says, do you use Botox? Can you believe that? I don't use Botox. You what? don't use Botox, do you? And you're 66. <laughs> you're brilliant. <laughs> well, uh, right, Christ. Christ. <laughs> this could be an interesting hour. Um, <laughs> friends get his cock out and God's on is clearly 30 odd, 70. This is amazing. Um, right. Um, the other question I just came last, and I sort of just because it's quite interesting, you, you're a big presence on Twitter. He reckons you change your Twitter picture more than anyone else. Oh, I do, yeah, yeah. What happened was, first of all, I started using a real picky of me, and then people started sending me pictures. You know, so I'd get a, an Angus bull, you know, the type with all the hair, so I've done that. Uh, someone sent me a picture of a llama. I'm not allowed. Linton Crosby has told me I can't talk about llamas, so uh, <laughs> unless you pursue me later on on the <laughs> llama front, you know. 
I had a very, I'll tell you, I was walking, uh, it's a true story actually, I was walking with a friend of mine who runs a well-known department store chain, which is never knowingly undersold, here, near, <laughs> <laughs> way back in 1990 in Machu Picchu, and in fact I was looking at him on um, Sky News on a video this morning, because this particular department store he runs is 150 years old and I was just watching <laughs> this thing and 25 years ago he and I were in Peru and he was wearing a little pair of shorts and a llama took a fancy to him <laughs> and started sniffing his <laughs> bottom and he was running and you know this is before we had cameras and things I'd love to have done it I could have ruined his career <laughs> I've probably done it now <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're on Twitter, you're, you're quite the presence. Um, I've been looking back through some of your old tweets. You'd have to go far back, actually, to find um, ones that are <laughs> a, a little bit different to what your parliamentary colleagues tweet. Uh, there was one you put out last year that I liked. Um, you learn something new every day. Blowjob is the same in Danish. Hashtag Borgen. <laughs> I'll tell you how all that came about, because <laughs> I... <laughs> I was doing uh, the Eastley, you know, I do by-elections. Well, I did. 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 <laughs> by-elections, and I was there for Eastley. And uh, we'd been working all day, and someone said, well, should we get some burgers? And I, I like a good burger. And I originally come, I must tell you, because I was very uh, annoyed and insulted when you did that Brighton impersonation, because I'm actually from Rottingdean near Brighton. Oh, so Anybody from Brighton? <laughs> We're all straight in Brighton. <laughs> And in fact, actually, I have to tell you, Brighton's the only place where there's straight bashing. Did you know that? No. <laughs> I thought it was funnier than that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, but the point of the story was, there's a, in Brighton, they do wonderful burgers. There's a great chain, if you ever go there, called Uncle Sam's. I recommend it. I don't get commission. But anyways, these people came back, and they came back with McDonald's. And I hadn't had a McDonald's in about five years, and I thought it must have improved. But no, and as I said to somebody, you know, you don't need any teeth to eat a McDonald's. You can, you can sort of suck it through your gums. Which was and also I'm, another tweet that well, you put out. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it did rather make me... You know, I have an inquiring mind, you know. <laughs> And I sort of asked the question on Twitter, because Twitter is very useful. You do find out the answer. <laughs> and I said, I w just wonder why it's called a suck... Why it's not called a suck job. Yeah, that was... And the answer one. was... <laughs> and someone came back, because in the 19th century, it was known as a below job. A below oh. job. So never let it be said that neither I nor Twitter are educational. <laughs> 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 there are two more I want to read out. One was... Um, Can I just say, by the way, yeah. I've, got my, I've got my association chairman in the audience and I haven't been reselected yet. So, uh, I'm is slightly worried. Can, can we get jo an answer tonight? Johnny Hall, stand up. Where is he? Johnny Hall, there he is. <laughs> Hello, Johnny. Um, what, what are the odds on Michael getting reselected? <laughs> and I think we could actually do some in-game betting with this. <laughs> I'll ask you again in half an hour. Um, there was another tweet you put out, which was, uh, walked in with last night's DJ on, son's bow tie. Told 11-year-olds in the chamber, at night I played trombone in a Soho strip club. Teacher unamused. <laughs> 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 Just 
something like this. I mean, <laughs> there was, the tweet that really got you into trouble was uh, at the height of, well, when Maria Miller announced she was off, you tweeted, well, about time. <laughs> well, can I say something serious about that? I, I've got nothing against Maria at all whatsoever, and I really did not go into any of the detail about the rights and wrongs of her case, and I didn't tweet at all until she had gone. But I tell you what, we had our spring conference, we had some great information coming out on economics, and did anybody hear about it? No. Everyone was talking about when will Maria Miller go. And another tweet I said was, note to self. Oh, I'm getting louder, that's good. Note to self, be like Mark Harper. When there's a problem, immediately resign. And he will be back. It's good. It's serious. A, it's good... serious occasionally. No, I agree with that. I think, it's, I think it's sound advice. But in terms of the tone of some of your other tweets, was it something that Downing Street would talk to you about? <laughs> <laughs> I tweeted something once, which I can't remember what it was, and I got a, a colonial person phone me up and said, delete it, delete it, you know, it's you know, bloody obscene. And oh, I said, well, it's no good deleting it, because if you delete it, there's a, there's a, 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 a what do they call it, not a robot, what's it called, a bot, which, thank you, there's a bot which automatically comes up, and it's called... Tweets that MPs delete. So, <laughs> you know, if you want to highlight sometimes something, I always tweet it and then immediately delete it because then people read tweets that MPs delete. So I told him that, and I also told him that maybe he doesn't quite understand, you know, how social media works. So, but then after that, I didn't get into any trouble until, of course, that other no, little no. problem, which presumably you're going to raise, four-legged problem. The, the llama. The llama. Yeah, well, I'll come on to that in a minute. I'm right, sorry, I'm sort of more interested, More interested in, in sort of Linton Crosby was the, the impersonation you were doing oh, there. I was not doing in, Linton Crosby. <laughs> I was doing Axelrod. That, was, uh, <laughs> that um, was, that was, as you could tell, a very genuine... Oh, sorry, I love... Have you ever seen Behind the Candelabra? Have you yeah, seen yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, the Liberace that film. That is my new <laughs> voice. And I've been bet, Liam Fox bet me, would I be prepared, can I do it? Yeah. To get up, you know, in Prime Minister's questions. Can you play and the I'll piano? Be, no, no. But get up and go, thank you, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> would the Prime Minister agree with me that the GDP figures are just <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I've not done God. it. I've not done it yet. Well, but I did wear the moustache, of course. Yes, I saw you wear the moustache. Um, uh, for, for Movember, you yeah. wore a big pushy yeah, we, we raised 2,000 quid for that. Just that was one, all a good cause. Just for 30 minutes of wearing a false moustache. Do, do some of your fellow MPs ever say to you, Michael, for God's sake, just calm down and be mature? No, they say, fuck off. <laughs> 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 Did you, when you tweeted the thing about Maria Miller, you must have known that it was going to get you into trouble. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> look, I, I, again, you know, I, I've done lots of things that could have got me into trouble, and David Cameron's been <laughs> very loyal to me. You know, after the Eastleigh, I'll tell you, during the Eastleigh by-election, I got so fed up. I was down there for four weeks, and, you know, UKIP started gaining momentum, and uh, they weren't saying anything different much from what was Conservative Party policy. 
and I'd got so frustrated. Meetings at number 10, meetings at CCHQ, and they're all going, oh, it's a flash in the pan, UKIP. Don't worry about UKIP. Flash in the pan, Michael. <laughs> and in the end, immediately after Eastleigh, I did a load of tweets about it, you know, saying we've got to get our act together and saying it in public. And then, of course, I did this thing called the pact. Mm, the leaflet, the pamphlet. The leaflet. And what it was saying was, now I've got, I'll be honest about that as well, the pact was saying we've got to form a pact with UKIP, otherwise we're going to lose some marginal seats because they could take away our votes, you know, in very, very marginal seats. Now, I knew at the time that there was never going to be a pact for two reasons. One, the Conservative Party would never agree to it, quite rightly, actually. And two, Nigel... Barrage could never deliver it because it's a bottom-up organisation. He could give an order and say, nobody now will stand against Conservative MPs, blah, 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 and they'd all ignore him because it's not structured in the same way as other parties. But I had to do it that way to get a lot of publicity. And all I want to say is David Cameron stood beside me on that and other things. did text me a couple of times and say, will you shut the up <laughs> on the tweeting? Please, he said. But he's been very loyal to me, so, and I am, you know, he's been a good man. How many kisses did he put on the end? No, he doesn't do kisses. <coughs> Not anymore? No. No, no, that's right, long? yeah. No, he always refers to me as fabs, which is slightly irritating. What, um, what, face to face? Yeah. So what, and now what's irritating is that Because you're good at so I'll, I'll be you and no, you, no, you play No, no, I'm, I'm not very good. No, I do American impressions. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only impressions I do are camp impressions, actually. They've either got to be camp Americans or slightly Alan Bennett from the north of England camp. <laughs> and look, I'm talking to you and you're getting the whole, you know... That was great. Good. I could see you, you know, I could see the eye contact. I'm scoring here. What? You know, wow. I, well, I, I, I like you, Mike, but, not, but you know, that's as far as it goes. Right. Um, but you, 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 uh, would you class yourself as an eccentric? No. I, cla <laughs> <laughs> I class most members of the House of Commons as extremely eccentric. Now I'm me. What sort of relationship do you have with your fellow MPs? Oh, good one. No, no, with not just Conservative MPs, but Labour and even Lib Dem. <laughs> Look, we're a small community of people who work long hours, and I know it's fun to say we're all a load of lazy bums with our snouts in the trough and all the rest of it, but actually, having been in business uh, and worked pretty hard at it, setting up radio and television stations around the world... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I became an MP. I can tell you, it's a different sort of hard work, but it is hard work. And if anybody here wants to be an MP, don't be married or have a partner or be civil partnered unless they really understand how the lifestyle will change once you become an MP. And I wanted to get married, used to confuse the whole issue, uh, when I was in my <laughs> 20s and 30s. Then I spent a lot of time abroad, and I decided, no, I think I prefer the... Company of men, you know, there's no, <laughs> no commitment. <laughs> Great. In terms of your... Um, the things I have to do to my chairman, Johnny Hall, to get, uh, to get reselected. Johnny, <laughs> tell us what you have to do. 
You are? He's hiding. He's gone under the table. You mentioned the Lib Dems there and the relationship uh, that you have with them. Um, is it fair to say that with most Conservative MPs, there's still an inherent mistrust of the Liberal Democrats? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, we signed the coalition agreement and one of the biggest betrayals we had was over, you know, reducing the number of... Uh, seats from 650 to 600 and having equal numbers and now they said well they did it tit for tat because we couldn't deliver reform of the house of lords but a that was a rebellion and b that wasn't linked what was linked which is what we gave them was the referendum on how we have a voting system first past the post or a AB. system which required 20 pages and a defill to try and understand to to do um, so we didn't, we don't, no, you can't trust, no, you can't trust a Lib Dem. <laughs> the only good Lib Dem is one lying on the ground when you've got their foot on their neck. <laughs> I've actually got, I've actually got... So, Michael, Michael, I, I, I just, why aren't you Prime Minister? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got a branch chairman, Doug... I won't say his surname because there's a podcast, but anyway. And he talks about the Hun like that. He still refers to the Germans as the Hun. The only good Hun, Michael, is one where you've got your foot on his neck. So what was he kicked out of UKIP for? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're, in terms of the working relationship between Conservative MPs and Liberal Democrat MPs, is it more, is it more friendly now? Is there... Yeah, so, I mean, look, as a I bond? said, we're, we're, we're all working together in a very hot house, literally, because the air conditioning isn't too good. I mean, I'll tell you what, by the way, if all it needs is one person to get the flu or mumps or something and everybody goes down with it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, oh, <laughs> all my questions are fairly serious. I feel like I'm sort of interrupting your fun. Um, <laughs> Well, let's talk about Maria Miller for a bit then. You obviously thought that she had to go. Um, did she get in touch with you after you tweeted? No, no, no. Did, we... Have any of her people said, oh, that was a bit harsh, Michael? No. Have you heard? I think, you know, look, I had a lot of backbench MPs coming up to me and saying, you know, God, why don't we get rid of her? Not because of any view of what she had done or not done, but simply because, as I said, we had our spring conference... We had some really good news on legislation and particularly on the economy, and it was all drowned out. You know, I, I mean, it's, uh, I give the analogy, it's probably an appalling taste, but hey, you know. <laughs> In fact, it is an appalling taste, but you know, we can't find the uh, flight recorder of the Malaysian Airways flight because it's at the bottom of an ocean. And similarly, you know, all our good news, all our political messages were at the bottom of an ocean filled with. When will Maria Miller go? It was bad. So, yeah, I think that was a good analogy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fucking shat myself when you started it, I'll be honest. Actually, I uh, must say, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very worried because, uh, you know, you asked at the beginning, how many people have been here? Yay! How many people? Yay! How many people here, I've seen at least two of them, are journalists? Go on, own up. There's a few. <laughs> oh my god um, so when you were when you were sacked when you were relieved of your duties as vice chair uh, of the party with responsibility for key seats what was the reaction um well the it was public? the way it was done which was so marvelous you see because um 
Uh, it was done by Grant Chaps, who I get on with extremely well. It was very amiable. And Grant and I met. And he said, Grant, Michael, I've got to talk to you. You know, and he says, you know, we've had the four o'clock meeting. Uh, you know, difficult. Was that at number 10? No, no, it was, it was in the House of Commons. Difficult PMQs. Um, and DC was about to come to the 1922 committee at five o'clock. And then someone came in and showed the tweet where I said, you know, about time. And they said, oh, enough's enough, you know. And he said, so uh, we want you to resign. So I said, I'm not going to resign. And he went, oh. <laughs> so what should we do then? And I said, uh, you're going to have to sack me. And he went, oh. Well, all right then. <laughs> and then he says, uh, he says, so what do you want to do, Mike? I mean, do you want an exchange of letters? And I said, no, I'll tweet it. And he goes, <laughs> and he goes really? And I go, yeah, I'll tweet it. So I did. I'm sacked. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was very amiable and... Uh, so you haven't actually had it in writing yet? Nah, because I've got to take them. I've got to take them to court. They don't know that. <laughs> got to take them to a tribunal. I'm going to make get some much... money out of them, the bastards. <laughs> did you get much support on Twitter? Yeah, I did, because uh, some of the people who follow me are conservatives, and they, and they also felt, you know, that... Uh, that it was an issue. But, you know, I tried to sort of say it was mainly over HS2, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've said enough. So, there aren't th any journalists here, so I can say what I like. <laughs> <laughs> um, why do you think David Cameron was so supportive of Maria Miller, though? She was getting a lot of uh, support from Number 10, wasn't she? She also got a lot of support from fellow Cabinet Ministers. No, I don't, I'm not going to go into Maria Miller. We've done Maria Miller. But why was... Let's go back onto my hair. But just, just a final... <laughs> Let's talk about Botox. But just, to, just to find a final one on Maria Miller. Why, why was she so well supported from the centre, do you think? I don't know. You've got to ask the centre. David Cameron's got to be your next guest. <laughs> can you help? You can ask him. Well, you, you, you have a word with him. <laughs> I'll have a word with him. You have a word for me, and we'll, we'll, see, we'll see if that helps or hinders. Um, <laughs> you, uh, your responsibility, though, was for, for marginal seats. Now, that's something we're very interested well, in. Well, no, more by-elections, more okay, by-elections. Yeah. But, but, um, but with some responsibility for marginal yeah. seats. Yeah, I'm not going to discuss process. I'm not going to discuss our <laughs> secret way of doing things. <laughs> I was going to do it till he said he worked for the Labour Party. Used to, not now, anymore. Oh, he's got that microphone. You think it's for a PA system. <laughs> it's not. It's going straight back to Transport House or whatever they <laughs> call it nowadays. <laughs> It probably is. There's a smug yeah. lattice there now. I'm, uh... He's sitting there <laughs> with the headphones, <laughs> listening to it all. What's Mike going to say? <laughs> what, what game is he going to give away? Let's talk about llamas. Let's, let's come to llamas in a minute. But I'm, I'm just genuinely interested about politics and about um, strategy and marginal seats and things like that. So in, in terms of marginal seats uh, specifically... How well do you think the Conservatives are doing in those seats since the last election? <laughs> you said this would be a fun interview. You said this wasn't going to be news night. Paxo's been given news the night, is it? Paxo's been given the push by, <laughs> by that Guardian lover Ian Katz. Poor, poor old Paxman. Did you know this? I'm trying to change the subject. Support, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> support me! <laughs> well, I've got to ask some serious questions, haven't yeah, I? Yeah, but I'm not, I don't want to go into... Process and campaigning, yeah. because it's just not the right thing to do. But how, I mean, do you think um, the Tory message is getting through in those marginal seats, for instance? Oh, I mean, it's getting through, I believe, and, uh, but, you know, we have got a problem with UKIP, and, uh, 
and uh, Labour has got this, you know, <laughs> the only thing they've got, you know, the cost of living crisis and, uh, oh, well, things are doing really well and we caused the problem in the first place, but there's a cost of living crisis and <laughs> you lot don't care because you're all toffs. I went to a grammar school. Just make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the, the policies of the coalition, do you think it's fair? Um, do, you, do you think there is a cost of living crisis? Well, of course there's a cost of living crisis because, you know, like most countries, we all have to sink back to a position we were in, you know, some years ago. But we are catching up. It's going to take some years before we're back to where we were at our peak. But, hey, just look at France, look at Germany, let alone, obviously, countries like Spain, Portugal, Italy and Greece, the club med countries. But is this just part of the natural ebb and flow of a Western economy or is this recovery as a direct result of conservative values and policies? <laughs> this is a direct result <laughs> of reducing the deficit for hard-working people to come first in the global race. <laughs> Do you Not in Europe, but without Europe. No, I got that wrong. Not run no, by not, not, not run by Europe. Not, in, not in, run by Europe, but in Europe. In Europe, but not run by Europe. Yes. A safe haven, not a, a soft, soft touch. touch. Yes. <laughs> a common sense <laughs> revolution. Common, yes. These are all Hague. Yeah, These are all good ones, actually. They were good ones. And guess who was the guy who came up with uh, that wonderful thing, which nobody knew what it meant? I think they vaguely do now, which is uh, big society. And that was... No, I won't say... Can't, right, can't <laughs> right. <laughs> you, can't, you can't tease us. Was that well, Steve Hilton? No, Oliver Letwin. Oh, was it? Big society. Do you get on well with Oliver Letwin? You know, people <laughs> think... Can I do an impersonation of Oliver Letwin? Yes, please. <laughs> do it. He's always on his phone. <laughs> but just, it was the voice that startled me. Well, he, he has it was a, a good physical impression he, of him. Oh, thank you. He's no. got the gate down <laughs> to a T. He's always... What's, no, what's he's he a great what's, guy, but... Um, but he just he's always on the phone, and he has a very nice, girly laugh. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Shows uh, he has a good sense of humour. He also puts confidential documents in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in public parks. St James's Park, yep. We've all done that. <laughs> We've all done that. Um, <laughs> but do you... Now that you're... You don't want to know what I've done in a bin in St James's Park. <laughs> <laughs> yes, know, I do. One in the morning after you've had a curry. <laughs> I'm not sure which end you're talking about. <laughs> OK. Um, see, this is the thing you sort of tantalise and say, oh, I can't talk about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, do you do any other impressions of your parliamentary colleagues? No, not really. I don't, I don't, all I do is, um, you know, Mike Douglas as Liberace and Alan Bennett. That's my, <laughs> that's my limit, really. Um, in terms of your uh, relationship with Labour MPs, you said that you had friends on the other side yeah, of the yeah. house. Are there any particular Labour MPs you get on well with? Yeah, loads, loads. Uh, Ian, Ian Wright, Hartlepool, you know, I met lots of them, you know, and... Uh, I'll let you into... My association chairman will now deselect me. I actually, she, she lost her seat, and I won't say where it was, but I actually uh, had a sexy little holiday with uh, a <laughs> Labour MP. Then 
she got married to someone else. And yeah, and it was a woman. <laughs> it's the use of the word was. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Too complicated. They all want babies. <laughs> That's all you people want, babies. <laughs> Look at her. She's sitting there. She's going to say to you, I want babies like I want them now. Um, Sorry. Will that let her speak for herself on whether she wants babies or not? Um, Sorry. This probably isn't the forum. Um, I, this is just bizarre. Uh, um, so, this, this Labour MP, um, what era were we talking? Um, I'm trying to think. No, no, Ming Dynasty. Uh, oh, well, well, Ming Campbell was Lib Dem leader. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know, 2000, round of it. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to sort of focus on it too much. It would be embarrassing for her, she's married. You know. Okay, but the, you're, I mean, I, this, <laughs> this feels less like a political interview and more like I've sort of met my dad's mate in the pub. No, no. This is, this my dad's is, gone, but you're wasted. This I'm just is gonna like... <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and plug like you the story. This is like the 50s. This is black and white television and there was a series called... Was it Heart to Heart or Face to Face? I can't remember. Heart to Heart. And... Uh, no, it wasn't in colour. They didn't do colour. <laughs> Spent all this money on wine. London wasn't in colour, it was all black and white. Litchfield still didn't have muesli. <laughs> but we've got a Waitrose now, by the way. Face to face, yeah, face to face. Face to face was Freeman, wasn't it, the guy, the guy who presented it? Was he? And, and he did an interview with a famous uh, broadcaster yeah. and journalist. God, this is terrible. Not Grisewood. Gilbert Harding, who broke down in tears when they were talking about his mother. Talk about my mother and I'll break down in tears. No, don't talk about my mother. <laughs> and, uh, no, no, this is what it's like. This is what it's like now. But I'm in colour. And look, we're wearing the same shirt. Similar. Terribly embarrassing. <laughs> Similar shirt. Very embarrassing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> were, you at, um, were you at Prime Minister's Question Time today? Yes, I was. What did you make of Burko's cutting oh, off of Cameron? Jeez. You know, DC... Uh, Look, you, to make fun of Mr. Speaker, because he gets very bad-tempered at times and extremely grand, you've got to make a joke of things. And just to say, you know, about when I was the government whip, uh, he, I did something which he didn't like, and he sort of sneered at me, and he said, Oh, I won't take instructions from some junior whip. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I put my hand on my hips and I said, Junior whip, I'm a senior whip. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the whole place laughed and he couldn't react to that. <laughs> and today, David Cameron did the same thing. Yeah. Um, I noticed that one newspaper actually said that he, David Cameron, had uh, sort of bitterly said, I haven't finished yet. But he didn't say bitterly, he yeah, said jokingly, yeah. I haven't finished yet, you know, like that. <laughs> you got it all from me. David Cameron's, everything David Cameron's got, he learned from me. <laughs> <laughs> At least when it comes to being camp, you know, <laughs> occasionally. And uh, John Burko, I mean, it was, uh, he, he lost it slightly because when he then said, you know, oh, you have finished, as you mm. accurately reported this earlier on, you know, everyone went, woo! <laughs> including me. I'm, I'm very good at going, woo! <laughs> <laughs> 
You do it every week. And it just so yeah. happened by coincidence that this right. week everyone and, else has uh, done it as well. You know, it was... Um, of course, the other thing that irritates me, I have to say... Look, there are some good things about uh, Burko. He's, he has made Parliament more accountable, or rather government more accountable to Parliament. But, you know, he, he is one of the most pompous people I've, I've ever met. And, you know, he does this thing, you know, can I do the... Absolutely, you know, go, please. You know, people are making lots of noise, you know, and he'll say, all right then, I don't care. We can go on till quarter to one... Or ten to one, if we have to, with Prime Minister's questions. And I always shout out, good, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then he goes, I don't like the noise and people don't like the noise. So why the fuck do they look at PMQs and don't look at transport questions where we're all well-behaved and bored? You know, yeah. does anybody know? <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I agree. I think Prime Minister's question time is a vibrant and an important part of democracy. Some people don't like it, though. Do you think it should change a little? Should it tone down a bit? No. I think people should be natural. And in the House of Commons, you know, that's the way we react. And it is, you know, a bear pit. And, uh, you know, if you didn't want to be a bear pit, Churchill, at the end of the Second World War, had to rebuild the House of Commons chamber. And there was a long discussion, should we make it bigger? Because it only holds about 300 MPs, and there are 659 at present. Or is it 650? I can't remember. I think we're down to 650. And we said, no, we'll keep it the small size it is, so it makes it confrontational. But not just confrontational, it makes it a discussion. That gentleman sitting there, you're about as far from me now as David Cameron would have been today from Ed Miliband. It's a conversation as well as everything else. And you can't have that in a semicircular chamber or some giant chamber. Have you ever watched any of the debates in the US Congress? Or have you ever what Exactly. <laughs> I went with a friend of mine, actually. I have to tell you, this is a completely uh, different story. But I was with a friend of mine who... Um, should I say, I was linked with in the Daily Mail today, but anyway. Uh, and so we were in the, for those of us that haven't seen the Daily well, Mail. Well, no, so. I'm not going to say. But we were in the US Congress last year, <laughs> and he was terribly sick. And, you know, whereas we've got... It's unbelievable. This is the US Congress of, uh, you know, the greatest nation on earth. And, you know, being Axelrod, <laughs> I know it, I know it. 
And, and yet, you sit there, and there's absolutely no separation from you and the congressman. And this friend of mine had got food poisoning, and this boring US congressman was standing up and reading his speech like that, you know, really sounding like liberal. Right, man. You know, mumbling away. And then this friend of mine went, and I thought, my God, if he just stayed looking, he would have thrown up all over the... We'd have probably ended up in Guantanamo Bay. But it's <laughs> remarkable. You know. How did we get onto that? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. You, you did. Um, have you ever... Stuff like that ever happened in the Commons? Have you seen people be sick or be hungover or sort of pass Oh, if I've seen people hungover, I will... I will should I tell you this? Mm. <laughs> well, it would have been about the year 2000, and I was uh, just in the Commons because we had votes and we were in opposition. And <laughs> I'd been uh, drinking with some friends of mine who'd come down from Litchfield, and I was walking in the lobby, and Patrick McLaughlin, who was then a junior whip, uh, came up to me and he said, he's now the Transport Secretary, of course, he said, Michael, could you, there's nobody in the chamber on our side on the opposition, and it's a debate on adoption. Can you just say something, you know, so that, you know. And I said, look, I'm pissed. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> and he goes... A lot of people are when they adopt. He said, it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I said, I don't know anything about adoption. And he goes, it doesn't matter, you know, just say anything, you know. And you were asking me about friendships. <laughs> And I got up in the chamber, and I sort of spoke, and it's terribly important that young people, you know, need to... And I did this, and I sat down, and there's just silence, you know. <laughs> and Lynn Golding, who is now in the House of Lords, a Labour Member of Parliament, came up to me, and she put her arm around me, and she said, Michael, we all knew you were pissed, but we love you so much, we didn't care. <laughs> 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 But I've got a golden rule. Never tweet and never speak in the chamber if you've had a drink. Sorry, I just need to tweet something. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, Alan Clark got called out by Claire Short quite yeah. fancy when he was drunk at the dispatch box. Does it sometimes happen where people think, hang on, they've, they've had a few? Do people get called no, out I've of never, it? No, I've never, I've never seen that. I'm sure it does happen. There was a famous incident, but before I was an MP, where a Labour minister was talking from the dispatch box and spitting and talking like that, and his teeth flew out. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the Conservative opposition member of Parliament sort of went... Like that with his handkerchief and said, yeah, I believe they're yours, sir. <laughs> do you enjoy the Commons life, uh, Michael? Do you enjoy the sort of yeah, clubbable atmosphere in the bars? I do now. I do now. I didn't between 92 and 97. I got in from business and I got in in 92. And, you know, I came from business. I came from Brighton. I came from broadcasting. I used to be the news on Radio 4 and stuff like that, and an academic background as well. And suddenly I found myself in a very strange environment. And, you know, at one point, Tony Blair said, uh, when he was the leader of the opposition, you guys, you're all xenophobes, homophobes, misogynists. And I shouted out, not me! <laughs> <laughs> and he went, no, not the honourable <laughs> member for Litchfield. <laughs> <laughs> 
or, or in those days it was called Mid Staffordshire, to be correct. But anyway, but it was still Lichfield. And he got a stunning uh, ovation uh, when he left Parliament, yeah. uh, including from Tory members, and we saw David Cameron sort of Well, it was very embarrassing. The Tory members, up. did you need that jing up, or would you have stood up and applauded? No, him? no, I, I um, was very awkward then, because we don't normally clap in the chamber, and unusually we clap today. And I'm just going to say one thing, and don't sort of pursue me on this. Robert Rogers, Robert Rob Rogers has resigned as clerk the, of the House. clerk of the House and chief executive of the House of Commons after just three or four years, and it's not ill health. And Jack Grimston from the Sunday Times, sitting at the back, something you might like to pursue. <laughs> <laughs> you can't give him the exclusive and pass me over. And I hasten to add, it's nothing that Robert Rogers has done. So, um, what, what is it? No. <laughs> That's for Jack Grimston at the Sunday Times to find out. Oh, you're killing me, man. Give me a clue. Can I just say, Lloyds Bank, Brighton, 001427, you know, just telling him my... <laughs> my bank account, so... All oh, right. Uh, I think you said it had something to do with Lloyds Bank. <laughs> No, 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 that's my bank account for him to pay me for, oh, the, okay. uh, and, um, for the transfer. And what was the, what was the resignation about again? I don't know what the resignation was. <laughs> it was the only trick I had up my sleeve, didn't it work? <laughs> um, but uh, what were we talking about before that? You were talking about why the guy resigned and you were just about to No, no, before that we were talking about something really interesting. <laughs> but Tony I diverted Bla myself. Yeah, we, Tony Blair. We were talking about Tony Blair getting a... Uh, Tony yeah, yeah, Blair yeah. Because yeah. Tony Blair did... I got an invite to... It's quite interesting. I got it. Well, I thought it was interesting anyway. <laughs> I hate saying, you know, when people say this is really funny, and I think to myself, I'll be the judge of whether it's really <laughs> funny. Don't tell me this is really funny. And when I say this is really interesting, you'll be the judge of that, not me. But shortly after we lost the last, the 97 election, and I didn't think, by the way, I was going to win it because I only had a four and a half thousand majority. But I hung on there with a 238 majority. <laughs> Go on, ask me what my majority is now. I'm going to whip <laughs> it out. It's really big. <laughs> just slack. It's just under 18,000. Wow. <laughs> anyway. But how wide is it? Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> And does it work? <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so Tony Blair invites me. Tony Blair invites me to number 10. And he says, why don't you join New Labour? He says, you're obviously New Labour. <laughs> you know, you're a nice guy, decent guy, honest sort of guy. Because, you know, if you're Tony Blair, you're a guy. You're not a man guy. <laughs> walk, walk out with your mug into Downing Street. I'm a sort of guy you can trust. <laughs> Just give me a few exosets, give me a few cruise missiles, I'll blast the hell out of you, but you can trust me. <laughs> and I went into Dowdy Street and he said all this, and I said, no, I'm not going to join because, um, you know, I'm new conservative. <laughs> and he said, there isn't such a thing as new conservative. And I said, well, maybe if I stay in, there will be. <laughs> <laughs> so what would, um, what would new conservatism be if, if you were in well, you know, when I, again, you know, when I got in, 92 to 97, they judged you. This is why I didn't like it. You're talking about camaraderie, actually, mm. and why I didn't like it. Um, first of all, I remember my very first question in the House of Commons 
got up and Nick Soames shouted across the chamber, my God, they're letting anybody in here now. <laughs> he looks like a bloody estate agent. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you've not asked the question before, it's very off-putting. I, I might have read the news to 12 million people, but standing in the chamber is, um, in fact, sta sitting here, very nerve-wracking. But, yeah, and, and, you know, the atmosphere in 92 to 97... Was, was not toxic, good. It's toxic because they were still fighting the battles of, mm. you know, had you defended Margaret Thatcher or were you one of the knifers of Margaret Thatcher? And in fact, that was all translated into the Maastricht thing, which was really a vicarious battle which went on all about, uh, you know, those who were afraid. Where did you stand on that? What, on Maastricht? Mm. No, no, I'm, I'm quite, you're a skeptic. On economic grounds, I'm not a xenophobe, you know, I speak. Passable French, German, Russian, Hebrew, Anima de Berivrit. But uh, <laughs> Ken, Ani, you're there. Anyway, any Israelis here? No, they all speak English anyway, with American accents. Can I do my other impersonation? Any, you do as many as you like. My one. Don't glass anyone. No. <laughs> this is my very old fashioned microphone. This is Carl Yisrael, the voice of Israel from Jerusalem. Carl Yisrael, me Yerushalayim. Sorry, that was my impersonation. <laughs> Who was? Voice of Israel, sorry. <coughs> One of my clients. Anyway, we digress. But the whole point was, you know, they thought of you, either you had to be a wet or a dry, and nobody understood me. And yet now I think I'm a typical new conservative, which is what I've always been, which is sort of economically dryish but socially liberal, you know. In 1993-94, I voted 16 for the age of consent, and, you know, it just sickened me. I didn't mind if people said, keep it as it was, but the fact that people said, oh, no, we'll vote in the middle, 18, you know, mm. there was no logic, and at a time when there was so much AIDS going around, and in those days it really, well, it still is incurable, but it was a death sentence then, you know, for young people to be frightened to go to a doctor in case they or their partner went to prison was appalling. So I voted for 16, and people thought, what? And, <laughs> and now you're all boo because I'm socially liberal on abortion as well. I, I just think, you know, that it's, it's up to the woman to decide what she does. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, but they didn't think of that in those days. You had to be either wet or dry. So frankly, if I'd lost in 97... I would have been very happy not to come back. But then when I did come back to a much smaller Conservative Party, I remember Ken Clark came up to me and he said, because I'd worked with Ken Clark, I was a, a PPS, a bag carrier in the Treasury for the final year, and I, you know, I liked Ken a lot. And in fact, by the way, although I'm a Eurosceptic, I backed Ken Clark for the leadership in 97. And William Hague said to me, well, why aren't you backing me? You, you know, we've got similar views. And I said, but you're too young. And uh, William said to me, but Tony Blair's young. And I said, yeah, but we're not going to win the election after n this one. We're not going to win this next election in 2001. Or, you know, not that I knew the date then, because it wasn't fixed terms. I said, we need a heavy hitter. And Ken Clark will make mincemeat of Tony Blair, whereas you can't, because you're a young guy. And um, I'm now completely losing track of it all. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I came back, oh, no, and Ken Clark said to me, you know, he said, we could never understand, Michael, why a reasonably intelligent guy like you always used to relate your questions to Litchfield, you know? Why was a national or international question 
often related to Lichfield. The local and people. now we know, because you bucked the trend, and with a 4,500 majority, you hung on, whereas people with an 18,500 majority lost. There, that's my one little boast <laughs> for the whole evening. It's quite, it was um, all done because of Viva Lich Vegas! <laughs> Sorry, Lichfield. No. <laughs> um, quite interesting watching you talk, um, with sort of, and I don't mean this as, uh, offensively, but obviously because <laughs> you're such a big and eccentric character, and I would count you as an eccentric, to hear you talk from the heart about moral issues that you genuinely care about it isn't something that I'm used to seeing. You know, what, were the, what were the values that drove you into politics? Well... I mean, I'll tell you, my values, I'll tell you what actually got me interested in politics, and it's a very practical and very sort of simple event, actually. I was, and this is nothing, you're not going to applaud me for this, but it's the truth, it got me interested in politics. I was uh, living in, our company was in Brighton, and I was born in a place called Rottingdean, and um, we used to... I started off in broadcasting as a broadcaster, but ended up setting up a, with, with, a, with a friend of mine, a company, which set up radio stations. And we'd done stuff in developed countries. We did them in the US and Scandinavia and Germany and whatever. But we were doing a contract in Uganda, hoping to get one. And the money was coming from the United Nations, so it was a good, good contract. And we were up against some French, German and Japanese firms and their governments were all offering sort of, I wouldn't say bribes, but they were saying like, well, if you gave the contract to a French company, then, you know, we will give a bursary for 20 people from Radio Uganda to come to France, do a degree and all this sort of stuff. And of course, we weren't doing any of that because that's not cricket. And I wrote to my member of parliament, who at the time was a guy... And I wonder if anybody of you here knows him or knew of him. Uh, Sir Julian Amory. And I'll tell you about him in a second, if I may. It's a quick story. But Julian Amory was great. I wrote to him, and he wrote to the uh, trade and industry minister at the time. And I got a real civil servant reply. And I wrote back to Julian Amory. And I said, well, the guys don't understand what it's on about. And instead of ignoring me, he said, right. I'm going to, why not come up to London and meet with the minister and you can explain for yourself what the problem is. And I sat there at the DTI with this minister and, uh, you know, you've got to bear in mind, I wasn't like I am today, because, you know, today I'm mature, sophisticated, <laughs> you know. In those days, you know, I was in my mid-30s, hung like a donkey. No, I didn't mean to... <laughs> oh, sorry, I was in my 30s, you know, What's long hair. No, well, you know. Met this young chap, Fabricant, <laughs> banging on about trade. Massive cop. <laughs> Pretty well hung, too. <laughs> huh? Well, I thought, that's how I used to get my contracts, of course, you know. <laughs> <laughs> radio stations were crap, but I used to sleep around. But anyway... Oh, my God. Anyway, um, I met this guy, and, I, and he was giving me the line, you know, and I said, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a barrister. Why the hell are you a trade minister anyway? You know, which was very rude of me. Yeah. And he said to me, look... You're obviously a conservative. You're in business. The reason why I'm doing the job is because we don't get any businessmen coming in and being members of parliament. So why don't you, instead of coming up here and insulting me, become an MP? So I thought, oh, there's a challenge. <laughs> 
But, you know, I like communicating, uh, in a way, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I, I, I love Litchfield. I, I've got some very firm beliefs of where this country should go and how it should achieve it for the betterment of people. And it sounds all, you know, terribly insincere saying all this, and that's why I enjoy the job <laughs> with all its disadvantages. But if and you were believe to be me, there are lots of disadvantages to being an MP. Oh, no, I, th I think there are, and I think it's uh, tragic that there are so many so many downsides to the job and I think you're right about uh, if people are in relationships the toll it will take on them is, is catastrophic for the most part uh, and in terms of the public's view of MPs at the moment is so ridiculous and so out of step with my personal experience of MPs that it's, it's become a toxic relationship and I don't know how in the short term that changes um, I think people like you actually will help it uh, change for the better Sorry, can I just It won't be a second <laughs> Linton, I've got somebody who wants to say something to you. <laughs> <laughs> right, if that's Linton Crosby. Linton, hi. Uh, 12 inches, yeah. <laughs> 12 and a half. <laughs> Do you, um... Oh, it's just, I've never spoken to anyone like you before. <laughs> and I mean that in a really good way. <laughs> I wish there were more... But you're... you're we could do Bognor Regis, Panto. <laughs> what, the pair of us? Yeah. What, what characters would we be? No, I'll be the back end of the horse, and you could be the front. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, maybe no, not. No, 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 Change no. the subject. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. But there are, there are a few politicians... That was profound, what he said. But no, Twanky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there are a number of policies out there, and I think you're one of them, uh, and I would say Boris to some extent and Nigel Farage, that, are, um, that have these big personalities that can afford to be a little bit more outrageous and a little bit more honest about what they think because they have their persona, really, they have bulletproof personas that either the public can be quite sceptical about and say, well, this is an invention and it's a way of getting around difficult questions um, and people might make their own mind up about tonight. Uh, but equally, people say... This is just great fun. Why aren't more MPs like this? You know, you just reminded me of something. Can I another well, Just let me ask the question. Sorry, sorry. Do, you sorry. Think, do you think the majority of MPs are too scared to show their personalities yeah. in public? Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, that's the shame. I mean, with some MPs, you wouldn't want them to show their personalities <laughs> in public. But... Uh, Who? Yeah. But, no, no, no. <laughs> but, I'm you know, you're right one. in a way, because um, last July... This uh, friend of mine who runs the well-known department store had his 50th birthday. Okay. And uh, we had a party, and Johnny was there in uh, Birmingham. And uh, he hired a Joseph Chamberlain's house and grounds and had his party there. Yeah. And I went off with some friends because uh, we had a sort of big lunch barbecue and then we had a thing in the evening. So I went off and we were walking around... Um, Birmingham, mm -hmm. and we met a bunch of guys, and I'm sure they were public school because they were all very well spoken, and uh, they they were all wearing blonde wigs and dressed up, you know, as a sort of stag night. Anyways, Mike Fabrican, go, can we have a photo with you? So I gave the BlackBerry to a friend of mine who took this photo, and it was sort of like in a semicircle, and I tweeted it. I just said we get it with a bunch of my fans, which was a very big-headed thing to say. And then about ten minutes later, I remember the, uh, a, 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 a tweet came back which said, Good Lord, have you seen the person on the right? 
Well, I looked at the thing, couldn't really see, and then we enlarged it, and there was a tiny little bit of dicky <laughs> showing. The guy was exposing himself. <laughs> so, bearing in mind the thing we were talking about earlier, you know, tweets that MPs delete. I deleted it, but I did say, you know, really sorry. I had to make a joke about it, and I said, sorry, inadvertently tweeted a bit of dicky. You know, I hadn't noticed. Really sorry. And then what happened was that the following day, the Sun had picked it up yeah. and they, you know, did a big thing about MP has to delete this tweet and they had the photo yeah. and they did the photo and what was so funny was they had this giant circle like this, <laughs> which they sort of greyed out, <laughs> implying there was this donkey-like thing <laughs> hanging down here like that. Anyway, point, anyway, so that was that. <laughs> then the following Monday, uh, the oh. day after, I was in the uh, a vote at 10 o'clock in the lobby. And we've got this marvellous chief whip, and he is a lovely man, Sir George Young. Mm. Uh, very distinguished and very well, lovely natured. But really standing down. Yeah, sadly. No, he's a very, I've um, got a lot of time for him. And he sort of sidled up to me in only the way that a chief whip can. <laughs> very slowly said, Michael, we, Prime Minister and I, saw the tweet. <laughs> the one you had to delete. <laughs> and we discussed it. And we decided, you're the only one who can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Did Cameron ever say to him, Michael, what on earth are you tweeting? Oh, yeah, and he always says, you know, many a tweet makes a twat. And, <laughs> and that's why I thought, you know, when I was being asked to resign and I then decided, no, blow that, I'm going to be sacked, thank you very much. <laughs> and I thought, exchange of letters with number 10 Downing Street? Yeah, yeah. tweet it. Tweet it out, I'm sacked. <laughs> but what's, what's he like, David Cameron, behind the scenes? Because yeah, very, he seems very amiable on telly, but some Conservative MPs privately complain, don't they, that you know, he can be a bit, bit brattish and he can lose his temper quickly, uh, that he can be quite rude to people. Have you ever seen that side of it? No, I haven't. I genuinely haven't. Yeah. I mean, he can get exasperated at times and you can't blame him for things he gets exasperated about. But no, he's, in fact, you know, if he's got a weakness, he's also got a sense of humour. Mm. And he sometimes says things which, you know, some of the left-wing press like to make out is, you know, bad, bad form. And, like, uh, calm down, dear, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly like that. Exactly like that. And it's just done as a joke, you know. And you just think at times, thank God I'm not Prime Minister. Imagine what they'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever harbour ambitions to be Prime Minister? Oh, probably before I became an MP, yeah, but no. I would not, not since being an MP. But there must have been when you, certainly in that first from 92 to 97, as you say, it was very chaotic at the time. Well, not only was it chaotic, you must have it thought, was poisonous. I could leave this. No, it was poisonous. And I thought, I wouldn't want to leave this nest of vipers. And actually, uh, I assumed I was going to lose. I'm going to reveal something. I had, a jo I had a job lined up in the US in broadcasting. And, uh, <laughs> I mean... I, d I wouldn't say I was disappointed when I won <laughs> in 97. <laughs> but, uh, but since then, since 97, it's No, ever I've loved it. Not, not one bit. I've what loved it. Because, you know, because people... Whereas before they thought I was an oddity, you know, I was one of 350, I don't know, Conservative MPs, this strange guy with strange ideas whom you couldn't categorise as a wet or a dry, you know, 
and uh, was seen doing a conga in Whitehall with the people celebrating, uh, or not celebrating, but very angry over the fact she hadn't had the age of consent at 16 and, you know, and hang on, I like women, but I also have men friends and, oh, you know, what's all this about? Um, yeah, life. You've got to be ambidextrous, that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this, <I> just... <laughs> Drink your red wine in your left hand occasionally. It's what your right hand's up to that I'm worried about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you wrote this leaflet about... I wanted to get on to Boris and Nigel and, and your similarity with them, but also um, because you wrote this pamphlet about a, a pact with UKIP, did you talk to Nigel Farage at all? No, very... I'm pleased you asked me that question. I've shaken his hands once at a press gallery dinner... I've had no private meetings with him whatsoever. I've had no public meetings with him whatsoever. But it's very embarrassing, because when I was a government whip, uh, at one of the party conferences, I was asked to sidle in to a fringe event where Nigel Farage and um, uh, Bill Cash and others were speaking. And, you know, although I like to think I was uh, quite a good spy at one point when I was in the Soviet Union... Uh, I'm no good as a spy nowadays because I remember sidling in, you know, trying to be unostentatious and discreet. And Nigel Farage goes, It's Mikey Fabricant! Hello! <laughs> Big welcome to Michael Fabricant! <laughs> Which is very embarrassing for me. Well, what did you do? For one microsecond. I just went, Hi, I'm here, you know. <laughs> what else can you do? But, um, no, I've not had any private meetings with him at all. And, you know... There's no way, as I said, the pact could have worked for all the reasons I said earlier on. But is there not a case um, to say in the run-up to the next election, depending on how you keep doing these Euro elections, depending on how they continue to poll afterwards, it looks like they'll do quite well. It looks like they might poll well between then and the general. If there's genuine fear that this could cost the Conservatives their parliamentary... Well, they don't have a parliamentary job, it could cost them government, does that not make some sort of pact more likely? You know, in 1999, William Hague leader of the Conservative Party, we had the European elections and the Conservatives came top. Yeah, I mean, we really well. did brilliantly, you know. And William said, oh, we're on, we're going to win, you're all going to die, <laughs> but we're all going to win at the next general election. And you know what? It didn't make any difference at all. And, but, uh, this, but this is different, isn't it? Because UKIP aren't a natural... They're not... The Tories at the time were a party of opposition that could conceivably, perhaps, have won them, would have been a mountain to climb. But UKIP don't even have a single MP. They are a modern phenomenon. It's how they will then translate at the next election. Do you think they'll end up with members of parliament? No, I don't. I mean, I genuinely don't, because, look... And I'll tell you why. I mean, the, the peak support at the moment is about 15 16% for the European elections. They, because their support is even throughout the whole country... They have to be at 30% yeah. in a general election to even get one MP, and not necessarily then. And, you know, there was a poll the other day... Does that not suggest, though, that we do need electoral reform? Well, can, can I just say, there was a poll the other day, and they asked two questions in the one poll. You know, how will you vote in the European elections? How will you vote in the general election? And I can't remember the exact figures, but UKIP was about 16 17% on the Euro thing. And for the general, it was down to about 7%, 8%. You know, it, they're not going to do well. And what was your question? <laughs> well, if, if, if a party gets 30% of the vote at a general election but can't return one MP, does that not suggest we do they need won't get reform? Thir- they, they won't get 30%.
Well, we but had they, a referendum they, on it. Look, or do you want to be like Israel? Israel is, uh, you know, whatever you might think of their foreign policy and other things that go on. It's a, it is the only democracy yeah. in the Middle East. Well, with along press. with Iraq, along with Iraq, well, along with Iraq. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they have a free press, but anyway, and an independent judiciary. But anyway, let's not get onto that. But, uh, you know, there they have total proportional representation, and you get extremism. Uh, you know, El Al can't fly on a Saturday because up until recently, six members of Knesset were the National Religious Party. Six out of 120. Because, you know, if you want to go to an unreligious country, either go to England or go to Israel. It's not a religious country but, but at all, apart from a few nutters. But plain... Uh, <laughs> But the nutters, all you need is a few percentage of those nutters voting for the National Religious Party and they can hold a coalition to ransom. You don't want nutters in a coalition like the Lib Dems! (laughs) 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 Give me the National Religious Party and Hasidic Jews any (laughs) time! Let's have them with their hats and beers in the chamber! I can say that while you're all looking shocked because I'm Jewish. <laughs> Nobody can accuse me of anti-Semitism. Well, if your penis would have been out in the photo, we'd have known for sure. But let's <laughs> not... Uh... <laughs> Let's not tempt that out of there. Oh, my word. Uh, right, let's have the floor up to questions. Uh, if I can ask, please, one-sentence questions to Michael, if at all possible, uh, one-sentence answer so that we can get around as many people as possible. Could you sound like the speaker? Well, uh, yes, the gentleman at the back, what's your name? Uh, Neil. Neil, what's your question, mate? Uh, I wondered if you could give us an insight into the Whip's office. I know what happens in the Whip's office stays in the Whip's office, but you're an outspoken person. Could you give us an insight into the Whip's office? And secondly, could you um, let us know a bit about your uh, Latin American drug running? <laughs> Can we have, uh, I'll have to repeat it for the podcast. But, um, uh, so, an insight into the Whip's office and into your Latin American Drug running. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I do know. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. Well, the salary of an MP is not much, and you know, brown paper envelopes. So obvious. Drug running worked for me. No, I'll explain that later on in a moment. Okay. Look, the whip's office. I mean, I can't do it in one sentence, yeah. but I'll try and be very quick. You know, I was involved in House of Cards, making the, the original series, and putting a bit of stick about and all that which is what Francis Urquhart used to say, it just doesn't work. You can't, you can't do it. You know, if someone tried to put a bit of stick about or bully someone, they'd tweet it, and, you know, or take the whip to court, and quite rightly, for assault. And things did used to happen in 92 to 97 that no way could happen now and was the wrong way to do whipping. So what whipping, sort of physical? Whipping, yeah, yeah. 92 to 97? Yeah, yeah, and before. What's, when we say physical, how far would it go? Oh, yeah, you know, stopping, physically stopping people going in the lobby or, in my case once, I was pushed uh, against, uh, you know, a bookcase and somebody shouting at me in the middle of a division lobby. I mean, it was just appalling, actually, what went on. Uh, that was to do with Maastricht, but anyway. But it, the whipping primarily is intelligence gathering. And one of the reasons why I was a whip was because I do have friends 
throughout the House of Commons. And I was good at getting, I shouldn't say this, should I? Well, I'm no longer a whip, so it doesn't matter. Um, I was good at getting intel, not only from our own people, which was most important, to try and avoid problems, but also from the Labour Party and other parties to know what was going on. So it's intelligence gathering. And it's also floor management. If you've ever worked in broadcasting, you know you've got to get the right cameras in the right position and the actors and everything in place at the right time. A lot of it is just floor management. And like I said earlier on, Patrick McLaughlin asking me to go into the chamber and say something because we don't want a vote happening sooner rather than later. Otherwise, people might not be around when we've told them to be there at 10 o'clock. So there's a lot of coordination in the Whip's office that goes on. And without a Whip's office, you can't run a successful parliament. It, it really isn't all bullying. In fact, there's virtually no bullying now at all. It just wouldn't work. So that's number one. Drug running. Well, that <laughs> no, all that was was... Um, Again, I was walking with a certain person who runs a well-known chain of department stores in <laughs> Colombia. The same person? The same person. Okay. And, uh, no, we, we, we like walking. He's going to loathe me tomorrow if this gets in the papers. Anyway, <laughs> God, he will go mad. Anyways, we were in Colombia, and um, there was a patrol <laughs> coming, coming along with machine guns and everything. And... Uh, Hmm? What? What was in Colombia? No, it was a holiday. I was trekking, trekking in Colombia, mm. and uh, been in Ecuador, and I'd also visited the Galapagos Islands, which was nice. But that was okay. So tame. These, no these, these, these armed patrols are there. Armed patrol comes along, and they go something or other in Spanish, and I speak French and German, as I said, and a little bit of Russian, and a little bit of Hebrew, and even a little bit of Dutch, but I don't speak any Spanish. <laughs> and they said, open your backpack, and he was all <laughs> like that. So I opened my backpack, and I had, like, some Schwartz jars of white powder. Ooh. And they said, ah, oh, it's your white powder! Oh, it wasn't like it that. Was it was Japanese. It was oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's the powder? Sorry. Sorry, I'd gone Japanese for a moment. I apologise. Anyway, so because oh, white powder, you know, but it's all in Spanish. And what is it, you know? And I went coffee, mate, because it was coffee, yeah. mate. And he goes, no coffee, coffee, no blanco. <laughs> it cannot be coffee. And he goes, coffee, mate. You see, but they didn't know the brand. So you was, know, he thought it was cocaine. I guess. So I had to eat some, you know. <laughs> so I'm eating this stuff and I'm going... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no, but anyway, eventually, all was well. But this little friend of mine who runs this well-known chain of department stores, but I can't give its name, never knowingly undersold, um, <laughs> he wandered 200 yards up the bloody... Path. He'd he abandoned it. me. He'd legged it. That should have been... So, uh, George Osborne should have used that as an excuse when all those photos came out with him with uh, Miss Whiplash. He should have just said, oh, it's uh, that was just coffee, nothing. mate. I like to do lines of coffee, mate, and I uh, snort it. <laughs> <laughs> it actually chills me out. Um, right, let's have another question. Yeah, then. thanks. Uh, <laughs> are there, firstly, are there any on the balcony? Uh, any questions on the balcony? balcony? My God, yeah, there's a balcony up there, mate. Oh. Yes? <laughs> Were you waving or was that a question? Oh, hello, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that at auction. Uh, <laughs> yes, there was a gentleman over there. Where was he? Yes, what's your name? And I'll have to repeat the question with the podcast. Hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Do you think personality has been driven out of politics? It has to some extent, yeah. And uh, 
The danger is that personality can be a distraction to the message. It's like when you're reading the news. They've got this newsreader from Jamaica on Radio 4. He's a great guy. But he reads the news like this man, you know. And I'm listening to how he says the news, not what the news is. It's actually quite distracting. Um, and similarly... Well, well, that's not the same point, is it? It's just it a guy's, is, because... It's just guy's got an accent, that's not like... <laughs> but what I'm saying is that actually you do not... It doesn't matter whether it's Jamaica or French accent or anything else. What I'm saying is that it can be a distraction to the message. So sometimes you've got to try and suppress the personality, as I do in the chamber where I'm very... wear my pinstripe suit and extremely, you know... Austere, I think you know. should ask your next question in Parliament in a Jamaican accent. No, I'm not very good at the Jamaican accent, man. <laughs> <laughs> OK, any yes. more questions? What is your policy uh, on ganja? I'll set the lady at the front. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, my God! Oh, my God. It's not ganja, it's, uh, it's, it's dried kale. Uh, <laughs> 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 yes, the lady at the front. Lava bread. So we do in Wales, smoke lava bread. <laughs> Why write it? Why write the pact no. it's going to come to fruition? Because I discussed the issue of we've got to address UKIP. Uh, it's CCHQ and number 10 Downing Street. And as I said earlier on, they were just saying, oh, flash in the pan, you know, don't worry about UKIP, blah, 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 blah. And the reason why I did the pact was it was a mechanism to get a lot of publicity. Not for me, but for the idea that we have to address the UKIP issue seriously. And, you know, lots of new p newspapers covered it in, you know, stories because it was a newsworthy thing. If I just argued about, you know, I taught for a year before I went up to university. And the best advice I ever got was from the head of department who said to me, if you want to sort of get a message across, it's 20% facts and figures and 80% entertainment and message. Now, admittedly, he was talking to 12 and talking about, you know, teaching 12 and 13-year-olds physics and chemistry, but I do find in the House of Commons it works a bit as well. <laughs> and if you want to get something across, you've got to have a tagline that's newsworthy. And if I'd just gone about, well, you know, if you look at the analysis, you'll see there are 14 to 24 seats that might be vulnerable because UKIP might shave off some of our votes and so on and so forth. It wouldn't have got any publicity. And it was because I gave it publicity and because other MPs then came behind the argument, it forced, and it wasn't just me, there were others as well, but it forced Number 10 to take Is it seriously. Is there not a risk, though, then, when you do that, actually you, you make UKIP more... Uh, serious. Yeah, that, uh, when Tory MPs start coming out and saying we can do a deal with these, you actually help UKIP become more popular. But it was a calculated risk, and I did it, you know, two years ago, or a year ago rather, so two years before the general election. I wouldn't do it now because it's getting too close to the general election, but it had to be done because it was right for my party, in okay. my opinion. Uh, there was uh, another lady over there. Oh, the guy over there. What's the best excuse you've ever heard from an MP for not attending a vote? Duck in the toilet. Word of honour. Stuck in the toilet. The nut jammed. Couldn't get out. <laughs> I feel really strongly about it, Michael, but the bolter jammed and it snapped off in my hand. And what did you say? Bullshit. I was stuck in that one. <laughs> <laughs>
with a very good friend of mine who I can't know. <laughs> uh, but, but you, you, you know, it's uh, being a whip, you do hear all things. Can I just say, by the way, that when I was a whip, I was very self-disciplined. I didn't tweet at all. I never tweeted. I only started tweeting when I left the whip's office. OK, I'll take one more. It'll be the gentleman there. What's your name, mate? Are you busy mates with Jacob Rees-Mogg? Well, well, I did have a meeting with Jacob Rees-Mogg after my disastrous appearance on Have I Got News For You? Because uh, he <laughs> was doing it American as well. <laughs> yeah, well. I was so pissed off when I got on. You know, it's three hours, as you know, because yeah. you've done it. And I'd watched Have I Got News? So, yeah, I get on with them well, you know, but we're very different uh, characters in some way. And, 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 you know, you talk about personalities. You know, he's got a great personality. Um, and very genuine guy as well. A person, a gentleman. Very, very <laughs> genuine gentleman. But, you know, have I got... Can I just say something about have I got news for you? Yes, We're, we're allowed to go until about three in the morning, aren't we? Well, yeah, you, you got can. Place booked. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, um, you know, I've watched Have I Got News For You uh, analytically the week before I was doing it, and they had a professional comedian, stand-up, uh, American comic guy uh, on one of the uh, teams, you know. And near the end of the programme, he was sort of like... <laughs> like that. And I knew one thing on Have I Got News For You, even though the temperature of the lights is 20 times as much as here, even though it's three hours and it's actually quite boring, you've got to be like this all the time because you don't know what bit they're going to show. And the other thing I learned about myself is you ask me, and why have I got an American accent now? <laughs> I don't know. You ask me about music and programs of the 60s, 70s and 80s, and I can be really informed and convincing. But you ask me about some bloody television daytime program uh, that's out now, well, I don't, I don't watch it. I'm BBC Four man myself. You know, I like BBC. We've got good documentaries on BBC Four. Do you know, I met, yep. I met an MP, I won't say his name, well, just who didn't even know there was BBC Four. <laughs> he knew there was BBC television and some BBC Two thing, but I hadn't heard of BBC Four. And you know something? He'd never heard of Stewie and Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, so are you friends with Jacob Rees-Mogg? Yes, I'm not enemies okay. with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different... Well, I think we're going to just have to bring this to an end. Um, this has been absolutely <laughs> remarkable. Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure what I've just witnessed. I think we're all going to... It's going to sink in in about a week's time. You've um, witnessed my deselection <laughs> as, the, as the MP for Lichfield. Um, and I'll lose the whip tomorrow. Nigel Evans got the whip. Back on Monday, yay! Michael Fabricant loses the whip tomorrow. Um, you are a jinx. Well, um, <laughs> next month we have um, a fascinating character, Majid Nawaz, which is the man who effectively convinced Tommy Robinson to leave the English Defence League, uh, set up the Quilliam Foundation that fights extremism inside Islam and on the far right as well. He's a fascinating guy. I met him the other day uh, for a cup of tea, and the, uh, he is one of the most incredible people I've ever met. He was uh, imprisoned in Egypt shortly after 9-11 as part of the War on Terror. He's led a life I don't think anyone in this room could ever really come close to imagining. He's very articulate. He's controversial on the uh, Muslim side of things. He doesn't get on with Mo Ansar and Mehdi Hassan, which is a good thing. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs>
So already, already we should like him. Uh, and then uh, in June, I've got Sir Alan Hazelhurst, uh, who's uh, one of the longest serving MPs in the House uh, and has been Deputy Speaker under Boothroyd and uh, Martin and, and again under Burko. So uh, some great guests. Michael Portillo is confirmed for later in the year, uh, in, in, in October. And um, his train, he's bringing his train <laughs> along. <laughs> and we've got more guests to announce for the rest of the year. But until we meet again uh, at the end of next month, ladies and gentlemen, Mr Michael Fabrican. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Fabricant there, ladies and gentlemen, what a unique man. Um, uh, well, more to the point, what a unique politician. Um, it was absolutely, there's some really funny pictures on Twitter. I retweeted a couple of them um, that sort of capture the, the madness. Uh, what a top bloke. Um, the forthcoming shows we have uh, on the 28th of May, I've got Majid Nawaz, who is just an incredible individual. Uh, he was a member of Hisbal Tahrir, um, was responsible for spreading uh, radical. Uh, Islamist uh, ideas across the continent uh, and across indeed uh, the world um, was arrested and thrown into a torture jail in Egypt after the and during the war on terror and then has turned his life around founded the Quilliam Foundation that helps combat extremism both inside and outside of Islam and was instrumental in Tommy Robinson leaving the uh, English Defence League he is I, I met him the other week for a cup of tea one of the most fascinating if not the most fascinating and uh charismatic but also hopeful people that I've ever met because his turnaround in his life and the effect he's been able to have on other people is incredible. He's now a parliamentary candidate for the Lib Dems which is probably the most controversial thing he's ever done um, but he is uh, very articulate, very clever, at odds with other people in the sort of, um, a lot of modern Muslim voices like Mehdi Hassan and Mo Ansar he's sort of at loggerheads with. So he's a, he's a fascinating individual. He will subvert a lot of your expectations and it proves to be a, a thrilling conversation. Slightly wider than the usual Westminster conversation, which will probably, I'm sure, branch out into the nature of um, Islamist politics, uh, the nature of terrorism, the nature of torture, um, and indeed the future of the far right in Britain. So it will be uh, a broader remit and... Um, I just can't wait to sit down and talk to him again. He's, he's, a, he's a really fascinating man. Uh, on the 25th of June, we've got Sir Alan Hazelhurst, who's now one of the longest-serving MPs in uh, Parliament, uh, was Deputy Speaker under the likes of Boothroyd and Michael Martin and John Burko, uh, and really has seen uh, the changing times. I think the first Prime Minister he was uh, elected under was Wilson or Callaghan, so he's seen incredible changes uh, in British history and has been there and right at the centre of it for a very long time. They're the last two we've got now uh, before the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I'll be taking my show up there. And then when we return in September, I'll have another guest in October. can confirm that Michael Portillo uh, will be the guest. So we're just adding all the time. But there's only two shows left now before summer. You can get tickets on the website, stjamestheatre.co.uk. Uh, thanks again for downloading this. Um, I do hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, uh, please do tell more people about it. All the best. And uh, I always sign these off. <laughs> sort of voicemail messages it's because I record them on my iPhone so I've sat here in my room with a phone in my hand like I'm leaving a message for. so yeah, if you could just call me back uh, and we'll go through the figures um, for January okay, cheers, bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80 less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.